Hello and welcome to this BAFTA crew live stream. My name is Carla. I'm going to be your host for this evening. Um, and we are very privileged to be joined by editor Chris Wyatt. Um, edit editor Chris Wyatt has edited um, for some of the greatest filmmakers of our time. Um, he's worked with Shane Meadows on Dead Man's Shoes and This Is England, um, with Jan Demange on Top Boy and 71, and with Carol Morley on The Falling and Dreams of a Life among many, many other projects that he's worked on. So plenty to talk about this evening. We do have a small audience with us tonight. Um, if anybody has any questions over the next hour, just stick up your hand. Um, and um, if you do ask a question, I will repeat it for the camera so it's not that we didn't hear you or understand you. It's just so that it gets, um, gets translated back. Um, we have had quite a few questions that have been sent in from crew members. So we've got quite a lot to get through because I've got a few of my own as well and I think there'll be some in the room. So maybe we should... Um, Kick off. Maybe we should get started. <laughs> um, Chris, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you so no, much for joining you. us. No, no, um, to begin with, could you just give us a little bit of, um, a bit of background as to how you got into the industry and maybe a, a pit stop tour of your career to date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, um, well, um, like most people that um, have the urge to get into the film industry, I had just one of those moments when you, you know, at a very young age, being in a cinema, seeing this extraordinary thing happening on the screen, thinking I just want to be part of that industry. Uh, and then as I was growing up, I tried to work out what on earth it would be that I could do. Um, to be part of that industry and found that I was inept at all of them. I couldn't take a photograph, I can't record a piece of sound, etc., etc., etc. And then I read somewhere somebody describing editing as an editor describes how much of a black car and how much of a white car you show in a car chase. And so I thought, well, how hard can that be? You know, mm. So it was one of those things. And so, but retrospectively, it made me realize that actually here you're thinking about something that's much more to do with ideas rather than um, a practical or technical ability. Uh, and so that was indirectly what drew me to editing. Um, and I mean, my path, uh, unfortunately for anybody starting out now is just not possible because I had a long apprenticeship, which was, well, I started as a negative cutter and that idea of negative is almost gone. Um, and I was then a sound editor on a film before it turned digital and that's now gone. Um, and I was assistant on film, that's now gone. Um, and so, without really realising it, all the bridges were burning behind me as I mm -hmm. you know, went forward. But that was more through luck than choice. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so again, I just was very fortunate to have this very long apprenticeship going through different stages of the editing process, or the post-production process, which then um, uh, that, that arriving at editing. And so, that, that's... And, and for... For that apprenticeship, uh, I spent an awfully long time working with Peter Greenaway, uh, and that was about probably a 10, 10 12 year period through sound editing, uh, assistant editing, sound editing, and then editing. Um, and then subsequently, um, you know, the directors you mentioned um, are the ones I've been very blessed to work with mm -hmm. over that time. Just out of interest, how many people in the room are editors or editors at the beginnings of their career? interesting. So um, you mentioned the kind of the creative and um, technical nature of editing. We have a question from Crew, which is how much of your work is technical in nature and how much is about creativity? 
Well, I think editing itself should be totally about creativity, and it's not remote. I mean, there certainly isn't uh, technical aspects. I mean, you know, the, the, the idea of how one constructs a sequence, I suppose, is a technical process. What you work with or how you work with it, the, the, the software, the machinery, all of that stuff is not important. It's mm -hmm. purely about um, application and how you feel something through. I mean, mm -hmm. for me, the, the whole process of editing is purely about uh, emotional engagement. Mm -hmm. And so what you're trying to do is you're just trying to extract from this material that you're given uh, a, a, a sort of coherent or semi-coherent story mm. for somebody to follow and, and, and have a, a genuine emotional connection with it. This actually leads me to a, another question, which is um, when you assemble your first cut, how closely do you follow a script um, or how much do you go by what, what the footage itself has to offer? So when you choose what shot goes where, when you're editing, how instinctive your choice is and how much are they pre-planned or how much do they fall into kind of editing grammar? Yeah, okay. Well, um, so first and foremost, uh, the script obviously is the cornerstone of what um, makes any film. So you have to respect it and you have to be truthful to it. Uh, when I start, I uh, the very first time I look at a script, I speed read it. So I, I just want to get an overview, I just want to get a, a, an essence of what it's about, what are the challenges within it for both the filmmaker, the audience and for me. And then when it comes to shooting, I read it one more time and then I don't touch it again. Uh, so because the minute something is, once it starts to be shot, it then takes on its own life. And what you're receiving on a daily basis is what's more important than what was on the page. Mm -hmm. Now, there'll be writer-directors who wouldn't agree with that process, and that's, that's fair enough. But during the assembly process, I think it, you do have to be faithful to the script. So I will always have an assembly which follows how the script is laid out, but I will also go off-piste quite a lot, because for me, it's much more important to try and retain the essence of the script and the essence of what the director, writer-director is trying to convey. But but hopefully with, uh, with the, the visual language that they've started to mm -hmm. use while they've been mm -hmm. shooting. It so I, like I will have two running in parallel. Yeah, so it's a very creative process yes. for you. Um, the second part of this question is actually how much input do you get creatively into the films you work on? So I guess how, much, um, how long is your leash? It, va it varies. And, and again, I think this is also important that, that I think for any editor, it's important, I think, to sort of keep shifting from the types of directors or even the genres that you work in. Um, sometimes I've been uh, uh, very fortunate, to, if I'm with Jan or Carol or Shane, uh, they're very open and very keen for that, um, that ex exploration. But then you might work with another director who, for them, the script is absolutely uh, sacrosanct. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of then have to think, well, okay, uh, that's fine. So you have to look for a different form of creativity within that. So it's how you build the sequence, it's how what, you know, that mm -hmm. becomes much more of a, a, a kind of um, a, a different kind of macro mm. experience because you're just trying to sort of manage each mm. scene and trying to get the best out of it but knowing that you won't have that possibility of doing what I like and what I find is the most exciting aspect about editing which is the throwing it all up in the air and yeah playing around with it and seeing what happens and do you find that there's a kind of a um sort of psychological diplomacy skills that you need to have as an editor <laughs> to be able to, uh, to, to get that freedom. 
in spades. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that the one thing you do learn as you come in the literature is you can never say no or can't. Those are two words that can never mm -hmm. enter your vocabulary. So you always have to be ready and prepared to try anything that you're that's, that's thrown at you. And to try and conjure up various different ways of saying, oh, this is much better than it was before, is mm -hmm. it becomes a challenge yeah. at times. And so it's, and, but it is also, it's trying to keep that freshness. Which is why I think that that first initial assembly that one does is absolutely crucial. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's that first time when you're, it's you and the material, and that's the very exciting period. Mm -hmm. And you have to be, I suppose, truthful to yourself about what you did at that stage. Mm -hmm. And think and question yourself, why did I do that? Even if it gets unpicked and changed yep. down the line. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. And you've talked a little about your process there. Um, we have a, a question about your process. Somebody um, has asked about how you have developed your editing process over time. If there's specific things that you keep, um, keep in mind at different stages of the cut. Um, through the assembly, through to the fine cuts, and um, if there have been any real influences in your career that have helped shape that process or shape your approach? Um, well, I mean, again, I think that primarily, and, and I think that the, 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 the key thing for me, again, is, is the, it's the personal uh, connection that you make with the director you're working with. And again, if one is fortunate enough to, 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 to work with people that are like-minded, you have a much better experience. And sometimes that goes incredibly well, other times you, it, it, it doesn't. So you kind of think, okay, we can't, you know, you're not always going to work with Andy Marge or Carol Moore or Shane Meadows. That's always not going to happen. So you have to um, accept that. But it is that idea that you're always trying to develop a friendship or, a, or, or some form of relationship because I, I suppose in essence my, my feeling is that, that all of us, um, especially if you're working with people that have a very strong um, a very strong idea of what it is that they're making, you have to try and tap into that part of you that they're trying to reach. So in a sense, you know, all of us have a bit of Shane Meadows in us, all of us have a bit of Yandy Mounge in us. It's f trying to find that equilibrium. Mm. And that also, I think, is what's exciting. And that's when the process becomes exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, because you actually find that you're, you, you're channeling into that yeah. same, same kind of thing. Um, and as I say, that does always doesn't happen. Uh, so therefore, then you just have to adapt yourself to how, how you can work your way through yeah. the, the, the project that you're on. Because I also think as well that, that, that the other thing that I think is key for me is, as an editor is that every time I start something, it's like doing it for the first time. And I think that's also key. You have to have a blank canvas. I think that you, because I don't want, you know, if any per person here was, you know, wanted to sort of engage on an editing process with me, I would not want to bring any of the baggage that I've mm -hmm. had from before. So it's important that if I read a script or I meet somebody and I think I could work with this person, I want to work with that person on their terms or, yeah. or find what it is that they're trying to achieve. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think all experience brings you ultimately is a, sometimes a shortcut to sort of being able to do things. I mean, but, but I, I would not like to think that I impose a, a stylistic decision mm -hmm. on anybody um, because of anything I've done before. Mm -hmm. Well, you've spoken, I mean, you've spoken about this already. Um, 
very well. Somebody asks, what is the ideal relationship between the editor and director? And it sounds like... Um, well, I think it's, it's that it's friendship a, idea. It's that idea. It's that idea. It's that, it is purely that thing. I mean, I think, you know, it's that thing about... I've been extremely fortunate to feel that in the time I've been doing this, I've never, ever, ever felt as though I'm going to work. Yeah. And I think that's what it, that's the key thing. You know, yeah. you, you, and I think that yeah, it, it, it's just that, just that thing where it's a joy to turn up and do it mm -hmm. every day. And, uh, but, but again, you're, 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 you're committing. You know, the, the, the flip side of it is that it's totally immersive, it's all-encompassing, and it takes over. Mm -hmm. uh, but then that's 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 the um, that's the patch you make. Mm. Mm. So y you've given a very good picture of what uh, what that relationship, what the ideal kind of relationship feels like. Um, and what does it what does it look like in terms of the actual everyday process? Do you prefer a director who is hands on an edit suite with you, making those decisions next to you, or somebody who will come in, watch something, go away for a bit? Email over an idea. Yeah, again, it varies. I mean, it w and again, you uh, you accommodate it on person-to-person -person basis. Um, and on the whole, I mean, uh, the, initially, I think you know, as I was saying before, for me, the the great period is that first period when you're on your own and putting it together. That is, um, that's the most exciting period for me because that's when you see it growing. Um, and then I. I Again, I, I just try to sort of work with a director however they want to work. Mm -hmm. And some are just impatient, can't bear the customer, only want to come in, look at something, talk about it and go, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Others just want to hang out, and, you know, and that's fine. You know, but, um, so it, again, it's this idea of being a chameleon. It's just trying to adapt yourself to how it best suits the mm -hmm. filmmaker, because ultimately it's the filmmaker that you're mm -hmm. serving. Well, um, that, no, it's fantastic insight into your process. Just to pull it back a little bit um, in terms of your relationship with films. When you're watching films um, as punter, what do you think is the mark of a really well-edited film? Well, see, this, is, I mean, this, 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 is the, this is what's awful because I can't watch anything <laughs> while I'm working. I just can't for that reason, because I, I watch it for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Why do they do that? How do they? And, and I, again, it's in the same way. I don't want to impose my baggage on anybody else. I don't want to take something and think, "Oh, I saw that really neat thing they did," and then try it. You know. So, so it's. So in fact, I've got a huge. I've got a backlog of probably about twelve years of films that I need to catch up on. You know, my my <laughs> my, my film references are still stuck <laughs> in the black and white days. You know, but I, mean, I think all films should be black and white. Anyway, that's a different story. Um, but um, but. Editing itself should be invisible. Yeah. And if anybody says, um, God, that was really well edited, I panic. Because mm -hmm. I think, oh shit, I've done something now which actually shouldn't, people should not have been aware of. Yeah. Um, so it should be invisible and you should, I, I think for the viewer, you should just actually naturally feel as though you're, you're falling into this rhythm of something and you're going along with whatever it is you're, 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 you're being shown. You know, you, you, and you, you feel as though you just, you're on this journey and you, you're engaged with it. You don't question kind of what's going on. Whether well, you have questions, but you, you don't question them in a problematic way. Mm -hmm. You just go with it. Mm -hmm. and so, um, and I think for me, I don't know, I, I can't think. I mean, I, I've had influential films, certainly. I mean, when I, I remember when I first saw um, Eraserhead. I mean, that mm. just changed my perception of things. I mean, that's what made me want to be a sound editor more than anything else. 
Uh, and when I saw it, I mean, I was fortunate because a um, friend of mine was a projectionist. And so I saw it, I think, five times in one day. And it's just that thing you think, oh, shit, this is just amazing. And that's what you want to try and convey all mm -hmm. the time. You're just trying to ha have people have that experience where you think, I love this and I want to see it, I want some more. Yeah. You know. Um, a, a question following on from that, which you may not be able to answer, which is fine if you, if you can't, but what was the last movie you saw where the editing blew you away? You can say a razor head. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I, don't, I don't know that... Um, I mean, the last film that blew me away, but not for the editing, was um, A Pigeon That Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence. Mm. And it's one of those films that just comes along and you just think, oh, God, this is why we do it. You know, it's just brilliant. Uh, but again, the editing, is just, I mean, what I love about that film is just complete tableau the whole time. So, I mean, so it's <laughs> absolutely no, no reason to edit it. But I think that, again, is the reason. It's that, it's that essence that you just see something and think, that is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And it rejuvenates you. It just makes you think, uh, yeah, I still want to be part of this. Mm -hmm. you know. so I, try, I try not to make judgments on editing. I, mean, I try not to sort of, I try not, if I watch anything, I try not to think, God, that editing. But actually, Whiplash. Mm. Which did win, a, yeah. which actually did win an Oscar, didn't it? I think. Yeah. That actually was well edited. Yeah. That that was that that that, <laughs> that, that, that was amazing editing. But you could kind of see the editing in that. Yes, but the, you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That, Jazz that, that, editing. That, that. So I think that, that, that if I was just absolutely say a film that where editing was was key to the success of a film, then Whiplash. I mm. think probably for re recent time would be something. Right. Um, just going back to, to your own process and experiences, have you ever been strongly opposed to an editorial decision uh, from the producer or director or somebody else in power? Um, and if so, how do you navigate that situation? Never listen to them, first and foremost. Uh, I mean, I th I, I, this, this is obviously a, 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 tricky, um, a tricky question. Um, I think that... Assuming that you have a good relationship with the director and assuming that a director is passionate about something staying in and it being the way they want it to be, you can argue it, you can try to show options, alternatives, but then you sign the kind of go with it. And in fact, it's a, there's an interesting example of this with, um, with Carol and Dreams of a Life, um, which was this, this extraordinary sequence in the middle where Joyce um, is singing to a song. It's, mm. about, uh, it's, it's a whole song, it's about sort of three-minute section. And I remember being in the cutting room and saying, you know that when the execs see this, they're going to come gunning for it. They are just going to say, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can't possibly have this length of time in the mm -hmm. film. So we fiddled with it. We made it work so that it was shorter, it was truncated, and all the rest of it. And so we thought, well, there we go. That is it, shorter. And then Carol said, no, I want it to be complete. And that was that. That was the end of that discussion. We left it, she was right, it's the most magical part of the film. Mm. And so that is an example, I suppose, of, again, you have those sort of discussions in the cutting room, but once you make a decision, once you make a bond, you're then unified on it. Yeah. And so when you then go into the sort of, you know, the, the, the viper's nest, mm. you have to be completely supportive of that decision that you've mm -hmm. made. Um, sorry, I just, uh, w when, one does go, when one does go into screenings, I mean, obviously, people do have valid things to say. You can't just write them off. But I'd never take notes. I just listen. And if, if, an, if something crops up, you know, two or three times, then you sort of think, oh, all right, OK, mm -hmm. need to address that. But on a kind of, you know, list of, you know, 97 things you need to do to improve this, yeah, forget that. Yeah. So you, have you ever been faced with a situation where you have, say, an exec 
enforcing an editing decision that you just think is absolutely wrong? Ooh. <laughs> Have I? Um, probably ones I've been unhappy with. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I've been fortunate to work with um, strong directors with strong visions and have eloquently and very bravely um, defended their decisions. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jan, again, is again, as an example. I mean, I think that, especially with his TV stuff, I and mean, I've always felt that Jan has made films. I've never ever thought of Jan as a TV director, but obviously that's where he started. And I think all the work that I've done with him has been cinematic in its quality. And there are large passages, again, in, in a lot of what we did in Dead State and Top Boy, criminal justice as well, uh, long passages where nobody said anything. Now for TV, that's terrible, you know. I mean, they're, they're oh my God, nobody's spoken for, you know, a nanosecond, quick, somebody's got to say something. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that was his strength, the mm -hmm. fact to just let that breathe, let that, and that's what makes, uh, gives, gives him that cinematic seal, if you mm -hmm. like. And, um, and that's why it's always clear that he was going to make it in, in cinema. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, um, just going back to Dreams of a Life, um, which is a film I, I loved. I'm curious as to how much, when, when the rushes for that came in, how much was scripted? Because obviously as a documentary, you've got um, interviews, you've got the reconstructions, you've got all lots of different kinds of footage. Um, by the time you got it, was there a very clear linear script for it? Well, uh, the way in which it started, um, uh, because Carol, um, it took Carol, I think, five years to actually get it from you know finding the newspaper headline to actually getting it made so again it's just an incredible tenacity and determination to get it out there um, but what happened was because nobody would fund it she would uh, well I think she finally got some money together to shoot the interviews mm -hmm. which she had I think for about a year uh, then trying to raise more more, more finance of, uh, on that so what we initially did um, was we made uh, a long-form long assembly of just the interview stuff and then pulling in things from the internet. So we, we made it almost like a conventional talking head documentary mm -hmm. to give it its overall shape. Uh, and then we took that to the financiers and then on the back of that is how she got the funding to shoot the, uh, the reimaginings, mm -hmm. she, she called them, the, 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 the Joyce moments. Yeah. And at that point, Carol then scripted it. Yeah. Uh, based upon what we had from the sink mm. and how we were going to use that. And then, of course, when we got that stuff, we then jumbled it up again. Mm -hmm. Because, again, the minute you got that element coming in, that you know, some of that stuff with Zowie removed the need for you know, a whole stream of yeah. um, interview yeah. at, at times. So it was a, a two-stage process. And um, how do you know... When a film is finished, at what point do you <laughs> declare that it, this film is complete? It's never finished. Uh -huh. And in fact, I mean, one of, the, one of my huge desires is for all the rushes of everything I've ever edited to be available for people to keep playing with for, till the end of time. Wow. I mean, it's, um, I, mean I think that uh, in, the, in, the, in days gone by, there were obviously the finite end simply came just because there was, uh, there was the mechanical process of having to deal with laboratories and working on film. It's much more freeform now, but you, st you still have to obviously decide where it, where it ends. Um, although having said that, I think you do get to a point sometimes where you can overwork scenes, you can fiddle too much with something, and then it starts working backwards. Yep. So I think you sometimes you, you get a sense of, I think you feel certainly within a scene when it's 
got to the optimum that it can be because then what it becomes a law of diminishing returns yeah. after that. Um, but for the whole, I don't know that there's ever a time that you can actually say that's it. Um, and in fact, strangely for me, I mean, it's, it's really weird. S uh, so many of the films that I have worked on in recent years, I have not seen finished. Because mm -hmm. in my head, they're still going on. They're mm -hmm. still evolving somehow. Um, because I find that a very uh, sort of deeply upsetting experience to actually sit and sort of watch something. Mm -hmm. Because it's, you know, having lived with it for so long, mm -hmm. it's sort of terrible to see it in this, this sort of finished form. Mm. Um, but I think the only thing you can hope for is that you hope you get to a point where you've done as much as you can within that time you spent with it to enable it to... Because you you're passing it on. You're passing it on to the people that are going to watch it. it becomes, you lose ownership of yeah. it, so it moves on. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's the important thing. You're making it for an audience. The audience is the final collaborator, uh, and they should bring something to yeah. it. So you, you, you take it 95% of the way, mm -hmm. and then the viewers take it that extra, you know, it's then theirs. Mm -hmm. And rewinding to the beginning of the process, um, you've spoken a bit about reading a script before, we, before you do anything else. Mm -hmm. um, do you always get on board before the shoot? Would you, um, would you ever or normally want to be actually on set um, during the shoot? Uh, do you get rushes during the shoot? Um, or have you ever, do you ever get on board actually after the footage is shot mm -hmm. and when you, when you already have the material? It, uh, most, most, mostly uh, your, uh, your contract is at the start, so you're there at the time of shooting. That for me is still the, the, the best way because you, you see it evolve, you're on it with a, on a daily basis. Sometimes you may get to a point where you're brought on after it's been shot and that's, more, uh, that's also interesting because then you can just follow it in a linear form. Mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes you may be called in to look at something which has been through several stages of editing and somebody wants some fresh eyes mm -hmm. to, to sort of have a look at it. So, again, it, it's, it, it's, it's different, but, my, but by my preferred route certainly is to be on from the start. Mm -hmm. I hate being on set, okay. uh, I, uh, I, uh, but I like, I like being on location. Yeah. So I like being close to the director so yeah. that I can actually work or see the director at the end or the beginning yeah. of, the, of their day. Uh, but I, I have absolutely no communication with anybody else mm -hmm. on, on the set. I'm completely isolated. Do you like to look at the shot lists and storyboards before no. shooting? Okay. No. Uh, again, that to me, uh, it's only, and, and also I, I, I even, I even don't even bother reading the shooting schedule. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, so I just want to see what comes in. Yeah. You know that that yeah. that's all that's important. And I think that, um, I mean, obviously sometimes you do have the, you know if they're going to strike a set or something, you know, you have to be across the fact that have you really got everything you need? Mm -hmm. Blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, yep. all of that sort of stuff. But on the whole, uh, I just, it's like going to Boots every day to pick up your film, you know, think, oh, what are we going to get today? <laughs> you know, I think, oh, right, well, that's nice. You know, where's that for? Oh, uh. you know, so, so, so for me, it's, uh, and, and I think you, you're, you're, you're much more honest to the material. That yeah. Way, that's interesting. So it's, it sounds like it's actually a, a fairly delicate, balance between standing back and letting the director do their job, but also keeping half an eye on the really essential things. And if you know there's something that hasn't yes. come in that you need, knowing when to call that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that's, a, that's a key element with the way that I've worked with Jan over the years. Because um, I mean, we've now worked together for 10 years. Um, 
on stuff, but we have a unique, well, it's not that unique, but we do have this uh, relationship whereby he will shoot something, I will edit it, he'll come and see it, and then he'll make big decisions mm -hmm. about how he shoots the next thing to go mm -hmm. with it. So with Jan, a lot more editing happens during the shooting period. It's mm -hmm. much more of a fluid um, experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, that, and, that, and, that, and that's, that's exciting, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that you're you're actually, you really do feel as though you're making a, a, you know, huge decisions while it's being shot. And that's, um, that's I think, very important. And I think, I don't know if anybody's seen 71, but there's a scene within 71, which is a riot scene. And that was a, a classic example scene. of that, wh yeah. where it was almost as close as you can get to being news mm. footage, because the, the, yeah, they were shooting it, whizzing back the camera cards, and I was editing and then throwing it back. And so the whole scene itself has this sort of very, it, it's, it's very truthful to what happened there mm -hmm. and then. And, that, and, I, and I love that as well, the fact that... Well, it gives it a very dynamic kind exactly, of newsy feel. Absolutely. Yeah. But, 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 but you're, you're being honest to yeah. everything that happened. You're being truthful to all the people that have put so much effort into to, to, to making it happen. Mm -hmm. And so you're actually, and I think that for me, it captures that moment. And I think that that's what's... Um, that's important mm -hmm. as well, I think. Do we have any questions at this point? We will. Um, about 71. Um, how much was it shot on film and how much was it shot on digital? Uh, so the, yeah, no, yeah, the question was <laughs> um, in terms of 71, what was the um, digital to film ratio in shooting? Yeah, okay. Daytime stuff was shot on Super 16 and the nighttime stuff was shot on Alexa. So all the nighttime stuff was. Um, was digital and daytime stuff was film. Um, and, that, and that also is, 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 is with the riot scene, that's why I was getting the, um, the, the, the um, camera cards back from the video assist, uh, because the, the, the processing, you know, the, the, the age old days of getting film rushes back is long gone. It would be two or three days before we would see it. So we were working with the video assist material for that. But, but that, that's how it was split, daytime film, nighttime digital. And the Alexa was extraordinary. I mean, really, really was. Mm -hmm. Did you have problems trying to balance um, the tonal difference? No, actually. It the it question it was: um, <laughs> <laughs> Were there any difficulties trying to balance the tonal difference between those two sets no, of rushes? No, no, no. In fact, we were, we were, there were huge amounts of testing was done beforehand, and there was an extraordinarily good grader at Molinaire, um, and, and 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 Tat, who's the DOP. Um, shot it so so well that you you really don't see the joins um and and, and i think you know all this the, the ways in which you can now apply grain and all the rest of it it was just it, it's it's amazing how seamless it is actually so yeah um it's come up at a previous BAFTA crew event um that pitch lock is considered now far less final than in the old days and um, that frequently the sound mix can actually influence the picture edit. Uh, could you talk a bit about your interactions with the post-production sound team um, and whether that relationship has changed at all over the course of your career? Um, and do the, do the sound and picture edits overlap now more than, than they used to, as you remember them at the beginning of your career? Absolutely. Um, they should do more uh, for a start. Uh, and I think that it isn't, I mean, having been fortunate to have had a sound editing background um, when, I'm uh, when I'm editing, I tend to think about 
what I might be hearing, mm -hmm. but I don't put it in the soundtrack because what I hate is to then give a, a, a sort of temp idea to whoever will be doing the soundtrack that because people get used to things. And so, I, you know, if you have sound editors to come on board, you want them to bring their own um, craft to it. Yeah. Um, so, and I think this again goes back to what I was saying earlier about the sheer changes in um, the, the mechanics of filmmaking. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. in the days of film, it was such a different process. Sound editing had to be done the way that it was because it was such a physical thing and mm -hmm. it was so broad in terms of the effort required to keep moving things back into sync. It's so much easier now and I think that, and I would want the integration of sound to happen much, much earlier and not for it to be this thing that's stuck on the end, it almost as it sometimes as if, if it's an apology for, and it should actually be you know, part and parcel of mm -hmm. the creative process. And in fact, what because of the current project I'm on now, which is a seven-part series, to have the, 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 the great thing about having something of that scale is that I can do that, yeah. is that I can get one part to a point where it's, well, we're calling it pre-lock, where we think it's pretty much there, but now the sound team can do their mm -hmm. thing. And then after Christmas, we'll come back and we'll start again at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then because of, you know, because there might be interesting sound, there might be things that have happened, you might think, we can let this breathe a little mm -hmm. more. We can chop that much mm -hmm. quicker. So it, it should be much more of an integrated yeah. process. And in terms of um, other crew and other departments, uh, you talked a little about the DP, which I suppose is a, a pretty crucial um, crew member to have your eye on. Uh, but are there any other key uh, departments or crew that you feel like you need to be in communication with or, not, or mean, benefits you? Not really. I mean, they're all key and everybody plays their part and, and all the rest of it. But I think that really the only person that I do have communication with is, um, is the DP. Um, I, 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 only because if you, they are likely to be the person that will come along with the director mm -hmm. at the front and end of a, of a day. And if you really feel as though you need something, um, they will possibly go and get it. I mean, Danny mm -hmm. Cohen, who shot, has shot a lot for Shane, was, was great at that because you would just think it would be really great to have this. You could call him up and it might be a few days later, but yeah. it would turn up. Fantastic. And so that's, that's great you know, to yeah. have that, 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 that kind of thing. But the re this is, I don't really, really do not mean to be derogatory to anybody else's effort on a film, but for me, everything else is, it's, it's, it's sort of not important. Yeah. Um, I don't mind if the set's falling down. I don't mind if the costume's falling to pieces, yeah. you know. That well, I, you, I, can't, you can't start doing anything no, 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 about exactly. that, can I mean, you? It doesn't bother me. I mean, it's because, it, because again, what you're, you're looking for a different engagement. Oh, I am, I'm yeah. looking for a different engagement. I'm not yeah. looking for, oh God, that set looks a bit yeah. tatty, you know. Yep, mm. yep, yep. Good question. So um, the question is from a composer um, who is a big fan of scores in much of your work. Um, and what's your experience been with temp scores and how you work with them? Marvellous. Well, again, um, as with um, sound effects or sound design, uh, I try not to uh, put too much temp music on something. I'd rather 
again, it was, you know, you go with an actual rhythm of what people are saying. And, and, and unless something actually says montage, you know, I, I don't apply music um, um, very early on. Um, so, but if I do, then I try to at least either go with the composer that will be brought on or with a generic style. I mean, I hate those sort of temp tracks where it's from all over the place and so there's no real single idea behind it. So if, you, if one is going to use temp music, then I try to, try to find it to be consistent. Um, with regard to Shane, uh, and this is England, um, after we did Dead Man's Shoes, uh, he then uh, fell in love with um, Ludovico Leonardi, and, and, and so that became the sort of cornerstone, I suppose, the source for This Is England. Um, and but, but actually, with, but with 71, um, we did actually have uh, a lot of that music I as temp track beforehand. So David Holmes was brought he on very early, absolutely. So we already had it, which really did help. And so I think, again, I think if you already know who your composer is going to be, it's much, much better to actually have temp music right. from the composer. No, absolutely. I, I, you know, or, I mean, as I said before, it, or if you use pre-existing material from the composer. But again, I try to hold that back for as long as I can. Yeah. Um, you don't ever get uh, under pressure from directors or outside ones that people in the um, process put music in? Actually, no. The I question mean, is, um, are there, is there ever any pressure from other people in the process to put temp music in? Um, I, again, I think one, one, one gets to a point where um, sometimes a director might say, oh, I only want to see how this feels with music on it. So you, you, you kind of go, okay, that, that, that's, that, that's fine. Um, I think that um, I think that if you get external um, requests for it, it um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of, a, of, an, of an example, and I can't really sort of... Um, I mean, I think, again, it's this idea that uh, it's the confidence of the director, the confidence of the director to know that ultimately, even if you put temp stuff on and you love the temp stuff, it's going to be changed and what will go in will suit the film better. It's the director having that confidence of knowing that the composer will bring their own dynamic to it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's the, that's the danger, where if you get that pressure to say, oh, you know, I've just found a great CD, can we slap this all over it? You know, you really don't want to do that because you just know they're going to fall in love with that. And then what you get is some terrible pastiche down the line. Um, so um, you sometimes do get pressure because the, the thing about also the people that come and view films, they always say, oh, well, you know, we've seen a rough cut. We know what it's like, blah, blah. They don't. You know, and the first thing they'll say to you is, can we have some more music, please? You know, so so you, 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 you do get that. But I think that to try and resist it, is is important. Mm -hmm. um, while we're in the process and, and, and working on temporary things, have you found that basic VFX skills are useful for editors and, and to be able to provide temp VFX in any way? It's becoming increasingly a requirement. Mm -hmm. I've, again, been very fortunate that I've had great people that I work with who um, can take that on board and sort of deal with it. I mean, I, I have, a, I have a, 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 a minor uh, ability to be able to do things like that. But, um, 
but it's, it's becoming more of a, as with all these things, you know, with the temp music, with, with everything, it's becoming more uh, expected, um, which is a great shame, I think. So, so, so you're almost, you're removing the, um, you know, the, the, the actual input mm -hmm. that's, you know, I, with all, all these other stages, they're all crafts within themselves and they should be allowed to be able to apply themselves to something in the barest, mm -hmm. rawest mm -hmm. way. So you wouldn't recommend any kind of software that's essential for an editor to... No. to no, I wouldn't recommend any software. I mean, that's the software that you yeah. need for editing. Uh, we have a question here. Um, in regards to the assistants, um, my question is, how do you choose your assistants? And do you prefer to work with the same person for longer periods of time or on various occasions? Or would you try to meet new people and discover new people and build new relationships with your assistants? The question is regarding working with editing assistants. Do you prefer to um, continue working with the same person for a long period or to continue building new relationships and, and, and giving new people opportunities? Yep. And how do you choose them? And yep. how do you choose okay. them? Um, again, it's, it's, it's a bit of both. Um, um, I, lo I love to have, I all, or I would love to have a long-term relationship. In fact, on Shane's films, I did have a long-term relationship with an assistant, and that was great. Um, sometimes, especially um, on TV um, uh, programs, films, whatever, you tend to get somebody given to you, which is you know also fine. But I also do like trying to you know bring new blood in. So I would you know I'd, I'd love to. I, I, I I'd rather have somebody come in who'd never been in the cutting room but actually really wanted to be in the cutting room and have that spark for it, rather than somebody who had X amount of years of experience. Because I don't know that, I mean, because of the, the budget level of a lot of the stuff that I have worked on and because of the, my route, I am quite self-sufficient. And so I don't necessarily need a whole lot of assisting in, in, in many ways. And what I find awful now as well is the way in which assistants are almost treated as fodder. So they're brought in to do the front end of things, which is the syncing up the management and all the rest of it. Then they're stood down and then they come back to do all the churning play outs out at the end. So they miss the, the actual mm. part of the process that's most exciting. Um, we do have another question which is about assistants actually, um, which is about the changing role of the assistant um, editor slash edit assistant and how that um, will, will change the process of stepping up into editing. Um, you've already talked about how your path isn't one that anyone can really take anymore. Um, the question is, uh, well, in the past it was perhaps seen as more of an apprenticeship where you learned styles and skills, but now it's more of a separate technical skill, um, like you say. And um, what do you think, I mean, Obviously, that's creating a, maybe a skills gap mm. in the people who Completely. are becoming editors, or, or how, 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 does, how does that gap get stepped over? I, it's, 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 it's a question to which I really don't know the answer. I mean, I, th I think that, I mean, even if you could be an, I mean, because, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm actually the, the worst example of this, because, I mean, I, I can't bear to have anybody else in the room with me when I'm actually working, so, I mean, I'm terrible actually the worst person to actually work with. But, and that's terrible because I know from my own experience how valuable it was to just watch 
uh, and editor at work mm -hmm. and actually hand them a trim. Mm -hmm. And then when they added three frames, think, oh God, that really made a huge mm -hmm. difference. So I, I'm denying people that, but then I think that the way in which you edit now is so different. I mean, when you see it within a sort of, uh, when it was mechanical, you could, I think you could gauge much more what was happening, but now on a computer, it's so much harder to mm -hmm. work out how, how, how these things are happening. So it's, it really, really, really is incredibly difficult. I mean, I think that for anybody trying to get into editing, it's just that thing about if it's that spark, if it's that passion, you've just got to try and keep doing it yeah. or, or find your way into it. Because I mean, what I always say to anybody that works with me, I mean, I won't look at what they do, but I just do say to them, you know, just do what you like with the stuff, you know. And, you know, and all these things, you always sort of have endless promo reels, trailers, that sort of thing. I just, I mean, all that's a different style of editing, but I, I just want whoever I'm working with just to do whatever they want mm -hmm. to do, you know, and if they want to call a director to show them, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. They can do wha whatever they like. So that is really the only way that you can learn. You can only learn on the job. And of course, how do you get the job to learn on? That's the, the, hmm. the, 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 that is the age-old problem. And nobody, nobody is going to just wander up and say, please edit my film. So it's a, it's a terrible catch-22 situation. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, in terms of the actual technical side of it, do you, well, we have a question um, perhaps coming in from an editor. Do you work across multiple nonlinear editing systems? Sort of yes. Yes, yes. It does tend to be avid. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I did tamper with Final Cut Pro for I mean, it's Shane's films, but when Final Cut Pro was a sensible piece of software, not now, it's some sort of. Um, odd thing, um, but Avid has, I mean, what Final Cut Pro did do was it liberated the landscape and, uh, or it liberated the, the idea of the fact that you could just have software only editing. Um, and so it made, it woke Avid up a bit, I suppose, you know, and so I think that, I mean, Avid is still, I think, the, the um, industry flagship for. Okay. And, um, we have a just a few more questions to get through. I know we have some in the room as well. So um, uh, I'm going to pick on mostly people who haven't already asked a question um, and then hopefully be able to fit in all the others um, if we can. But I do want to get through the ones that have been sent in as well because um, I know that these people will be watching. I'll try not um, <laughs> No, it's, off, it's fascinating stuff. Um, we have had a question sent in which is to do with um, Editing for different screen sizes, yep. so editing for TV or, or uh, broadcast or for theatrical, how much does that affect what you do and, and what's different editing for those different screen sizes? Try not to make it a different. I always try to just uh, edit the same way wherever um, or for whatever mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm working on. But it does, it does make a difference. Uh, and in fact, the, it, the, the big screen is so much more seductive mm -hmm. and things do have a different pace mm -hmm. and th and uh, it's more sumptuous and so you're you're enveloped in it much more um, so so there is a difference but I try not to change my style accordingly yeah I hope that ultimately they will end up on a big screen and people's televisions now Christ I mean you know they're getting <laughs> so true. big that's true yeah, and know. people are watching film no, theatrical no, films and things absolutely. that size yeah exactly um, I think did you have a question, okay. Um, I, I'm gonna go through these and then I will, I'll come back to you. Um, this is just a kind of a, maybe a tips and tricks, but do you have any tips for how to stay objective when you're in an edit and you are just footage blind? Um, any ways to keep it fresh? 
Uh, well, again, I, I think as um, saying earlier, I think trying to remember what it was about something initially when you w when when you did it the, f the first time, trying to recall what it was that made you made you decide to do something one way. Another thing, what does happen with multiple viewings, is you can't but help but begin to predict what's coming, or know what's coming up. And so you're watching something, and you're thinking, oh, actually, this seems a little bit rough, but in a couple of minutes' time, there's that really nice thing coming along. So what you do is you take out all the nice things. Mm -hmm. So you actually don't give yourself that luxury of knowing that you've got something coming up, that you can just all fall into a cosy, you know, you, so you try to keep somehow your focus up here somehow. Yeah. Try and analyse what is that's wrong or not working yeah. with something. Yeah. But so no real, no real hints or tricks. I think it's just it's just again trying to remember what it was that originally made you decide to do something one way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I think you have a really long and very, uh, like very diverse portfolio of work, like TV, films, uh, documentaries, drama, and even some short films. Do you ever, or maybe in earlier in your career, have there ever been prejudice against the fact that you Oh yes. diverse? Yes. Well, I mean, so uh, the question oh is, um, with such a diverse portfolio, which goes across TV, drama, uh, theatrical features, um, and, and shorts, um, has there been any kind of a prejudice um, as to the, the diversity of, of background that you come from? Yep. Um, uh, y yes. Uh, and uh, again, I mean, it, it very, very, in a sort of odd way. I mean, after after I'd spent an, uh, a, a long, long period with Peter Greenaway and becoming an editor, I, not only then did I uh, it, uh, then having all that sort of art house baggage as well. So th there was an, a, a lot of stuff that had to be sort of you know unfairly sort of um, gotten rid of. So obviously, I was trying to find anything I could, but. I found it strange that there was nobody really in TV that would en ever entertain me editing anything um, that, that, uh, for, for TV. Now, my view is very strongly that an editor should be able to edit anything, and y y it should be up to the editor to edit what you want to. And I think that to have the, the fortune, or you know, b to be fortunate enough to sort of cross between fiction documentary is key because it's key because they inform each other and the way in which you would construct a documentary is incredibly helpful for how you then approach fiction and when you work with something like Shane whose style itself crosses those those two disciplines it's incredibly important so I think you should have or one should have as wider broader portfolio as, 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 as one could but I did and have come across that sort of inverted snobbery about what I, what I have done and what I would be capable of doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and 71 is another great example. I've been turned down for so many action films because I can't do action. Now, I'm not saying I can, but the point is the fact that you just, you edit what comes along. Mm -hmm. And my, I suppose my get getting into um, um, TV it was due to Jan because I was very fortunate to meet him right at the start of his, his, his career so he was starting in TV but I saw the, the films he made at film school and instantly thought here is a cinematic talent you know no question of that and so it was this wonderful journey going from his first TV stuff to film and so as a journey that's been um, 
very rewarding. It's so, so one way to yes. some one way to combat uh, that kind of those absolutely. kind of obstacles is and to actually get in early with the relationships exactly, and travel exactly. with them. Exactly, and I suppose that's also going back again to that whole idea about how do you start. Mm. That's that is one thing I would actually say is that you if you you know if you're in uh, groups if you're working with people if you're seeing upcoming talent it's that idea of that investment. If you actually, if you're working with somebody, if you know somebody, if you're involved with anybody that you think, God, this is real talent, then that's what you do. You commit to it and you think, mm -hmm. this is a journey that I want to go on. Mm -hmm. And so that is also another, another great way of doing it. But also, I would also say that, you know, don't be in a rush because I do think that um, a lot of editing is about the experience of life as well. And I think that you, you because you're trying to make an audience or a viewer engage, in some in the story you're trying to tell or what you're emotionally trying to convey you have to have had some of life's experience itself in order to try and connect with it mm -hmm. and i think and i'm not saying you can't um edit when you're you know 14 or 21 or whatever but it will be very different you'll be you, i think you'll be a much more uh, uh, you'll be a more interesting editor i think uh, at 35 than you would be at 25 mm -hmm. um but and i think that just that idea of, uh, of, of, of just submersing oneself in the process for a period mm. is actually is good. We probably have time for one more question in the room. Is there anyone who hasn't asked a question who would like to ask one? Okay. So if a new director is approaching you with a script that you like, how would you then make the decision as to whether to take it on or not? Yes, interesting. interesting. Um, probably it's a personal choice above anything else. I mean, I think it's... Um, but again, it's that weird thing. I mean, I, I have been quite fortunate that what has come along uh, are scripts that I like and people that I like. So the two actually are, are, are quite well married. Uh, I have sometimes read a script and thought, oh, this has got potential, uh, but then it has, has failed to deliver. Um, so it's an interesting one. I suppose the ideal scenario is good script, person you think you're going to get on with. That's top. Next, I suppose, th th ne next would be person that you like. Script is a bit, well, you know, but we might be able to make something out of this. And then I think it would be script and, and person. So I think it would be that way around. Again, I, 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 I pro probably would err more towards the personality rather than the script. Because mm. I, 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 I believe that, because again, we're in a visual medium. So actually, if, if what's on the page is not irrelevant, but ultimately that's not what you're trying to convey anyway. It's what is shot. We have one final question that's been sent in by Crew. Um, you've spoken about how difficult it is these days to be able to actually make your way, but are there things that people can do from home? So the question is, do you have any recommended reading for editors um, who are interested in working in drama? Mm -hmm. And is there any other, any other ways that people can be um, self-teaching to give themselves more of a chance at, at getting there? Yeah. Well, in fact, having just sort of rubbished uh, most um, uh, editing software, the great thing for people now is that you can pretty much download uh, any of these things for a 30-day trial. 
uh, and content is all over the place, so, so, so you can try. But again, I think that it's that idea of learning on the job. I think it's just so much, it's still better. It's still better to try and find somebody who's got a madcap idea, you know, or, or is going to go and shoot something on a mobile phone and try and focus mm -hmm. on what it is. So I think that that's the key thing. I think that's the only way you really learn is by actually having um, an objective. Uh, something to actually, you know, work on. I mean, again, the, the very, very first film that I, uh, well, in fact, it was a music documentary. The very first thing I edited on Avid, I'd never switched a computer on before. And it's just that thing that you just you sort of leap in. You just sort of think, okay, this is, this is how it's going to be. Mm. So you, you kind of go in. And that's the only way you learn. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not the only way, but it's the best way that you mm -hmm. learn. So I think it's trying, again, to sort of uh, do that. I think in terms of... Other ways, I th watch as much as you can and watch as much as you can without any preconceived idea of what it is. Ignore reviews, ignore what it's about. Just go on something because you like the, the title and watch genres that you don't think you'd like mm -hmm. and, 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 and also films you really love, watch with the sound down mm -hmm. and, and just see how visually mm -hmm. it's communicating with you. So there's that. Um, I don't know that there's a whole... I mean, I haven't... I tend not to, because again, I think that it's so much about experience. I don't think I necessarily have any great tones that I could necessarily recommend because I, I, I don't think it's about that. I don't, mm. you, know, I, uh, you know, I'd hate to sort of think that I would write something and somebody would sort of think, oh God, this is, this is you know, because it's not. It's, it's in very individual. So everybody has to approach it the way that they do. But having said that, Sidney Lumet's book mm -hmm. is great because he has a wonderful chapter yeah. on working with editors and editing mm -hmm. and I think that that's good comes from a director's perspective. Fantastic. We are unfortunately out of time um, but thank you very much for joining us Chris. No, thank, thank you so you. much thank for you. being thank here. No, um, it's fascinating stuff. Thank I feel you. like we could have had another two hours of that and still not I, got I, everything um, <laughs> downloaded <laughs> out of your brain but um, yeah thank you very much for giving us the time and Thank you for watching. Thank you for yes, joining us in the room. Thank you all for coming. Um, to all at BAFTA crew, have a very merry festive season and a very prosperous 2016. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much.